may be seated. And I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Let us read God's word together. And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people. Because you have not kept my ways, but have showed par- shown partiality in the law. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Our gracious King and Lord, you rule us by your word. Send your spirit upon us that we may hear your word and have the strength to obey it in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the Old Testament, all the priests were members of the tribe of Levi, descended from Levi, one of the sons of Jacob, the great patriarch, who was the grandson of Abraham. And when Malachi wrote his prophetic book in the mid-400s BC, approximately 1,400 years after Jacob lived, Malachi makes reference in verses 4 and 8 before you of the Lord's covenant with Levi. The solemn responsibilities of priests accountable to God, serving in the presence of God on behalf of the people of God. These responsibilities can be summarized briefly if you look up Deuteronomy 33, verse 10. Deuteronomy 33, 10, where we read, speaking of the priests, they shall teach Jacob, that's God's people, They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and hold burnt offerings on your altar. There was both a teaching responsibility and a sacrificial responsibility. Responding to the first responsibility, the teaching, the priests read God's word and explained God's word. In the second place, the priest was meant to make sacrifices of blood, including whole burnt offerings, to reconcile God's people to God. And also symbolic of that reconciliation, they put incense before the Lord. 
The smoke and the smell of the incense represented communion and fellowship with God through prayer. Now last week, we focused on that second responsibility of the priests, the sacrifices. We noted they presented defiled offerings. They accepted from the hands of the Judeans animals who were blind and lame and sick, and they let that go. They just passed those right onto the altar, and that was not an appropriate offering. It was blemished, and it did not point forward to Christ, the unblemished sacrifice who came to take away the sins of the world. These priests did not honor the glorious Lord. They refused to honor the name of the Lord as great among the nations, profaning it instead. This week, we'll focus on the first responsibility of a, preach, of a priest, sound teaching. And as we do so, the topic of the text turns particularly to me and the elders as the responsibilities of a priest are most closely related to mine as a teaching elder, called to keep knowledge, verse 7, to keep it before the people. And I share with the ruling elders overall responsibility for seeing to faithful teaching, preaching, in many settings here, a redeemer. But you also are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, you are a priesthood of all believers in his service. And so you also have what we should learn about this matter of being faithful teachers. And so the outline today is verses 1 to 4, give glory to God's name. Verses 5 to 7, rely upon God's covenant. And verses 8 through 9, follow God's way. So then in verses 1 to 4, give glory to God's name. The chapter begins with a woulda, coulda, shoulda been. And it holds out before us what is often not lived up to, to today. And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name. And then he says something bad's going to happen. And I stand before you and I ask you today to hear God's word as meant for you today. That you would take it to heart. That you wouldn't block it out with instruments of screening. Like you're self-satisfied. I'm okay. I'm doing just fine. You couldn't be talking about me. Or inattention. Of, what did Pastor Ned just say? Or defensiveness. Hey, watch where you're stepping there, Pastor. And I want to ask you today to not only hear the word, but take it to heart, which means that you would believe in it. To take something to heart is to receive it, which is a word of truth. It's the implanted word that James taught us about at the beginning of the year. It's the word which we believe. And what are we to believe? If you will not, to, what are we to believe that we are meant to give glory to God's name? The world doesn't center on, center on us, but rather upon the sovereign Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Every sermon is meant to lift up the glory of God to shift the tension off of ourselves and onto the awesome Lord who created this beautiful world and provided a beautiful salvation for us to be redeemed so we can appreciate God and appreciate his creation and live faithfully in it. The Westminster Shorter Catechism summarizes this with the first question and answer. 
What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Did you ever think about enjoying God? So much we think about obeying God. We're thinking about not making God angry. We just want to stay out of God's way, one way or the other. But he is telling us here, enjoy me. It says in Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Tasting is an enjoying thing. I love it. My wife made some blueberry pies. No, no, mixed fruit and apple pie for tomorrow. I can't wait till tomorrow, but I will. I will. I promise you, Lois. I'm just saying to enjoy something is to taste it. And what does it then say in Psalm 34, 8? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You see, when you put God first, that doesn't leave you out. It doesn't say, oh, you're nobody, and God doesn't care about you. All he wants to do is glorify. That doesn't sound like the kind of God I want. No. God is saying, enjoy me. Taste of me. And guess what? Trust in me. Take refuge in me. You see, when you put God first in your life, you recognize that God has made you the apple of his eye. And when you have concerns today, you are blessed. If you take refuge in him, cast yourself upon him in your problems, your hopes, your dreams, just pour them into the lap of your heavenly father. And you will enjoy this moment together here with God's people. You will enjoy the truth that God is sovereign. And when we say, thy will be done, that is the doorway to thy kingdom come as we pray it in the Lord's Prayer. Glorify him. Rearrange the furniture of your mind. Put some of your reading material out on the curb. I mean, get rid of it. Let Casella and Waste Management deal with it. Change your viewing habits on Netflix. Do an about face called repentance and turn from the world and unto the creator and redeemer. To glorify God is to make much of him, to take it to heart and believe upon him. And he deserves this glory. As it writes, as the psalmist writes, 86, 8 through 12, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. You see, he made us. He made all the nations. God deserves the glory. And when we don't give it to him, we are stealing God's glory. We are bringing back upon ourselves what he deserves. And we're making ourselves the middle of our universe were little gods of our own making and when the priest did that what god said he would do to them is send a curse upon them look at verse number two i will send a curse upon you and i will curse your blessings 
And then he doubles down and he says, yes, I have cursed them already. Just think about all the blessings you have and think about them being cursed. The very things that we put stock in, our skills, our possessions, our money, our land, our cars, our houses, our job, our relationship. God will curse our blessings when we do not give him the glory. The very people, the very things we value the most, even potential idols, putting them on a pedestal, the Lord will curse that. This curse will happen when we idolize our looks. It could happen in two ways. Well, we could lose our looks. Or secondly, we could keep our looks and God will give us over to an idolatry of our looks so that our looks become a snare to us in the pursuit of immoral relationships. Hebrew 13, 4, marriage is honored among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. God will curse our money if we glorify it rather than glorifying him with our money. He could curse it in two ways. First, we could lose it. Or second, we could keep it. And just as Jesus said to the man who laid up treasure but was not rich toward God, Luke 12, and I will say to my soul, Here's what that man said. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. To be rich toward God is to glorify God and make what you own available to him for his glory. The issue is not whether you have treasure or not. The issue is if you are rich toward God with whatever you have. God will curse our blessings if we glorify our talent, whether it's athletic, academic, or business, social, getting along with people, schmoozing, whatever our talent is, we will be cursed either by losing it or we will retain our idol and be given over to it. And in a very specific way, he gives an example of that for the priests. He says here in verse 3, Behold, I will be rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feasts and one will take you away with it. Yeah, those priests, this was their big day. Whenever the solemn feast came, more and more people came pouring into Jerusalem. This was their moment to shine with their best priestly clothes on, all kinds of people watching. Man, if they're gonna be happy about being a priest, this is the day. And he says, the very refuse of those solemn feasts, referring to the awful, O-F-F-A-L. That's the innards. That's the guts. That's the large intestines with everything that you know is inside of a large intestine. That is all going to be spread on their faces instead of disposed outside in the valley of Hinnom where it went. It was that valley where Molech had been worshipped under some evil kings. It was the disposal ground 
for Jerusalem, south of Jerusalem, on the way to the Dead Sea. And instead of being disposed, it would be spread on their faces. This is a chastening commandment. And the purpose for it is in verse 4. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you. It's a commandment of judgment, verses 1 through 3. That my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. He's doing this because he wants to continue the covenant. A friend of mine told me this week, God chastens us, pastor. God just, he corrects us. And the reason for that is he wants to continue the relationship. And we got to be purified. How many times have I been chastened? I've been chastened as a pastor in this church over the past 11 years. A couple, two, three times, I can remember. And over a course of 33 years, many times. But the reason is not because God doesn't like me. The reason is because he loves me. He wants me to serve him. He wants my ministry as a pastor to continue. And he's not willing to let it continue under the terms of that moment where I had to be corrected. Are you tracking with me, church? It happens to you too. And I'm saying to you, this is grace. He's chastening so the covenant will continue. And that leads us even unto the second point, verses 5 through 7. And the title of these verses is that we would trust and continue in the covenant, that we would rely upon God's covenant. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace. And I gave them, he gave life and peace to him, to the priest, that he might fear me. And so he feared me and was reverent before my name. You know, God is offering you life and peace here today. He is offering you life and peace. Don't turn away from it. He's offering you something good. And even when there's tough passages of judgment, like verses 1 to 4, can you just imagine that stuff being spread on your face? It's for the purpose that you would know Life and peace is for you. Life, that we would have a new life as our hearts are regenerated to know God. Peace, that we would have peace with God and a peace of God. That the enemy relationship between God and man would be removed and we are reconciled to him. And the discontent in our hearts, we would have that replaced with the peace of of God, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And the reason he gives us that life and that peace, look at it here, is that he might fear me, that we would be reverent before him, that we would know there is a God in heaven who changes lives. I can't find peace on my own. I don't know a life that lasts. My destiny is destruction. My God is my stomach and my glory is my shame. That's our testimony before we are a believer in Jesus. But then when we come to Christ, our mind is not set on earthly things, but on heavenly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
And so I call you today that you would know this life in peace because the priest is given it here in verse 5 that he would pass on that message. He is a mediator. He is not just keeping that peace. He's passing it on to all these people. And specifically, it says, verses 6 and 7, the law of truth was in his mouth and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge and people should seek the law from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. See, the priests are called to this high calling. Pastors are meant to preach it. Elders are meant to teach it. Christians are meant to share it with their loved ones. As we know, people are in tough times, illnesses. You can go to their bedside and share this peace with them. One of our deacons asked for some Bible verses the other day so he could witness to a loved one. You are free to go and share this peace in your life. And it's a very important thing that we see at the end of verse 6. He walked with me in peace and equity. You see, the priest's life should show this. It's a walk with God in peace and equity. It's a walk which should be seen. It brings credibility to the messenger. The priests, pastors, and elders all are an example in their daily life and their treatment of people. I have not always fulfilled this, and I am sorry. It is my goal now always to be an agent of God's peace rather than someone who stirs the pot just to make a show of being bold. When I go out on a limb of my own choosing, straying from the written word, it is self-will. But this is my purpose that I would walk with God in peace and equity. Equity means a level plane, an even place, a just place where everyone is treated according to an objective standard of truth and grace rather than with favoritism, without putting your finger on the scales and prejudging someone before they open their mouth. And if this desire to walk in peace and equity makes me less willing to get drawn into controversial discussions concerning COVID-19 on either side of the argument, then so be it. And if it makes me less willing to get drawn into discussions regarding Republican or Democratic politics, then so be it. I have very strong personal patriotic convictions it just asked me some time about John Suffern and George Washington. My ancestor knew the man, the father of our country, and Washington stayed in my house. But more important than that, I share my ancestor's convictions. I'm not as accomplished as him in any sense. But he was an entrepreneur. I value the free market. He was the first judge of the county of Rockland which meant he was known for equity and fair play. He was one who was an elder in the Reformed Church in Ramapo, in Mawa, New Jersey. 
I'm simply saying to you, I have my personal convictions. I am not going to share them off the pulpit, and I'm avoiding it in private conversation too. Because I have to be a preacher here for the Democrats and the Republicans among us. I have to be able to share the good news of salvation eternally, which will not come well from the lips of one who has weighed in on the events of the day. You shut down the witness to eternity when you identify too closely with the political issues of the day. I have my convictions. Believe you me. Please do not doubt that. And I would imagine and I would hope that you would respect them for me for them. But I shall not be muddled into a situation where equity, equity and peace is disrupted in this church. And so, Salvation of souls for heaven is what we're about. And that we would see God's kingdom come in him at the second coming. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so let us be those who are intercessors. That we would be those who keep knowledge and are messengers of the Lord of hosts. But there is only one true messenger as we come to the third and final point, And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is that? Because the final verses here are judgment. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. You see, these priests were leading people in a faulty manner away from God. They were, people were stumbling at the law. If you turn with me, if you have a Bible, go to Romans chapter 9, verses 30 through 33. Romans 9, 30 through 33. But what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. But as it were, but by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. You see, these Old Testament priests were helping people to stumble at the law. They were stumbling at the fact that they considered the law as something to be achieved rather than something that showed us the futility of our attempts. Instead of pointing people to the Savior, the Messiah, the promised one who was promised throughout the Old Testament, they were promoting the works of the law 
just as the Pharisees did when Jesus was ministering here on earth. And so I ask you to come to Christ by faith, that you would come to him not stumbling over this, this, this thing that you can't do by your works. That's a stumbling stone for many people. They want to earn it. But I ask you today to be like the like the the high priest Jesus who calls you to believe upon him and calls you to entrust yourself to him. And this will avoid partiality in the law when we are trusting Christ and his grace rather than trying to achieve salvation through our own works. We are not going to be playing favorites anymore. You see, the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith cuts the cord to favoritism in church, cuts the cord of this partiality which the prophet Malachi condemns at the end of verse 9. But you have shown partiality in the law. The word partiality literally means to receive face. And to receive face is to look at the Externals. I'm receiving a message from someone's face. I'm receiving a message from externals. As Ian Duguid puts it, I quote him, partiality means treating the wealthy by a different set of standards from the poor. The rules for the influential are different than those for the marginalized. Relatives and friends get special treatment. Some priests may simply have looked the other way when their colleagues abuse their office. Partiality happens when fear or reverence of people displaces the fear and reverence of God that is supposed to be the hallmark of the priest, unquote. But God does not show partiality. There is no partiality with God. No man is ever excluded from calling upon God the gate of salvation is set open to all men. Neither is, any, is, is there any other thing which keeps us back from entering in, save only our own belief. That's a quote from John Calvin. God shows not partiality. Jesus was totally impartial. Impartial. He laid down his life for all kinds of sinners, like the rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, who buried his body, like the poor woman who spent all that she had. That means she was broke, okay? She spent all that she had to get healed of the issue of blood, Mark 5. And Jesus said to her, go in peace. So money, he's not impartial. The self-righteous Pharisee like Nicodemus who came by night, because he was ashamed to come by day to see Jesus. Well, he was saved too. He helped body, bury the body of Jesus with Joseph of Arimathea. He believed in the end. And then there was that public sinner, not the self-righteous Pharisee, but the public sinner who wept over Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and was forgiven much, and therefore loved much. John 7. And then there were the Jewish disciples of Jesus, like Peter, who said, you have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? And then there were the Gentiles, like the Syrophoenician woman, whose daughter was free of a demon through her mother's faith, Mark 7, 24 to 30. And when it came to judgment, Jesus played it easy and clear 
and balance both sides. He condemned the Sadducees who are like the old time liberals in the cities who wanted concentration of power, who wanted big government, who collaborated with the Romans, and he condemned the Pharisees who were the country and small town religious leaders who could be considered the conservatives of their day and who believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees were the liberals, they didn't. Jesus condemned them both for they were not coming to him in faith. Jesus himself is the only full and complete fulfillment of verse seven, the messenger of the Lord of hosts. He was the perfect priest. He taught always the word of God. He always taught what the father gave him to teach. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he was, God spoke from heaven and said, Behold, my son whom I love, hear ye him. He did that first duty of a priest. And he also did the second duty of the priest. For he put himself on the cross. At unblemished sacrifice for sin. This Christ who deserved to be listened to in the temple always. As the true messenger of the Lord of hosts was instead taken outside the city gates to the north of the city, to Golgotha, to a place of shame and defilement and ridicule where he was executed and made a curse in our place. He experienced hell that we might know heaven. You know that awful that we took, talked about a moment ago? It went off to a place from the temple south of the city to the valley of Hinnom, which is also called Gehenna. And it was always burning. It was a dump. It was the most horrible place in the environs of Jerusalem. And Jesus referred to it as an earthly picture of the never dying fires of hell. And he warned people. He said, it's better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go to Gehenna, that's hell, to go to this valley of Hinnom, a picture of hell, to go to the fire that shall never be quenched, Mark 9, 43. Well, that's just where Jesus went. He went to hell on the cross. And so, like the awful, the cast off of the temple, instead of standing in the temple to teach, he was cast off outside the gates. And there, he suffered on the cross. He suffered the physical pain. He suffered the physical separation from God. He was in hell. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here is the one who fulfilled the covenant of Levi, the perfect high priest who taught God's word always and was faithfully presenting the sacrifice, the sinless sacrifice on the cross. He went through hell for you and me. Rely upon him. Glorify God as your life is changed and be the people who this day as always will trust in Christ the Savior and be unto him the one who respects his name 
and shares that message of salvation with others. As you are a kingdom of priests, you are a holy nation. Come and believe upon him and be those who escape judgment as you trust in the judgment that was cast upon Christ at the cross and vindicated in his resurrection. Let us pray. Lord God, help us all. Help us this day to trust in you. Let us never leave a service, O Lord, without thinking upon Christ, our beautiful Savior. And Lord, we pray this day that as we intercede for the congregation also, that you will help all those family members who are not trusting in you now. And we pray, O oh God, that you will return them to the profession they may have made at a younger age. And if they have never professed your name, bring them to Jesus. Bring a church into their life. Bring a Christian into their life who can witness to them. Oh Lord, bring them to a place where they hear the word of God and take it to heart.